0: For me, trust is a is a based instinct that you know starts with a, a mother and a baby, um, but it's also you know interpersonal trust is is a foundation of a prosperous society. It's uh, it's tried and tested. The the accountability between trust or a breach of trust between people is something that's been evolved over thousands of years. I think the the challenge and the problem is applying that same principle or those same principles to. A dry technology that has no accountability, or even a company selling that technology where the, the motivations are different, the accountability is, is different, and yet we seem to apply the, the same principles. You're listening to KBcast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen.
1: Mike, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you here today. I know we spoke a few weeks back and you had some interesting views on the industry interesting views on how you see the industry evolving so i'm really really keen to get into that today but before we do that we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey so please walk our listeners through where you started and what are you sort of doing now
0: sure uh well thanks first of all for for having me on the show um I guess I've been in love with technology since I was a kid. Um, I used to program games at school, which went viral. I developed the software to manage our footy tipping competition um, and ended up making a career out of that. Um, First, I worked at the University of Illinois in the US, um, where I led a team building a reporting system to measure the impact of uh, educational programs across the state of 12 million people. Returned to Australia, worked for a digital agency for a year, had the full madman experience um, and swore I'd never work for an agency again. Left that business to start my own agency, which uh, which I did over the course of 10 years, eventually growing into a full services agency and um, exited that business. Um, but effectively, I'd been building enterprise digital systems and bringing them to market for my for my entire career. Um, following uh, the sale of the business, joined forces with my current co-founder Yuval, Uh, Yuval Herzog, he's the former head of R&D in one of Israel's most prestigious cyber intelligence units. Um, And he's also the architect of secure voice over IP, which we're communicating with today. Um, And our first project together was building a data analytics platform that connected brands with consumers using connected health devices like um, Fitbits, smart blood pressure monitors, or even smart homes. Um, and we were servicing the, the enterprise end of town. And we had this challenge of proving to them that even though we were a startup holding incredibly sensitive data as a middleware, um, we could we could prove to them that even if we were breached, they wouldn't end up on the, on the front page news. Kellogg's, I think, was the, the catalyst for us. Um, and it was our solution for being able to demonstrate that we could get breached and the, the sensitive stuff wouldn't. Um, that led us to establish TIDE, which is where I am today, uh, where we invented a new capability that unlocks a form of cyber herd immunity to make an organisation resistant to the ravages of the inevitable breach.
1: Cyber herd immunity, I really like that. So talk, talk to me a little bit more about that and what you mean by that.
0: Uh, well, if you if, if you look at the, the state of affairs today where uh, we're seeing mass data breaches uh, on, a, on a daily basis. We're seeing national infrastructure compromised. Um, we're seeing supply chain attacks causing generational damage. The The victims of those attacks range from government departments with near unlimited resources to large enterprises, small businesses, individuals. Everyone's copying it um, and, and everyone's got a lot to lose. Um, so the current approach clearly... Clearly isn't working. Um, so we've taken a, a different view, where um, if you can, let's say, leverage the scale of of the internet um, and the strength of a decentralized network, the security of a decentralized network, which is probably one of the only technologies that out in the wild has proven um, to to be secure in the face of um, you know the, the most grandest of attacks. Um, you yeah you can leverage those qualities to, to develop a technology that allows even the, the smallest player in the ecosystem to be protected by that, that same scale against any adversary.
1: Would you say that people are aware that the current approach isn't working, but then are sort of thinking, well, that's all I kind of got, and they just keep doing the same thing? Or do you believe that people aren't aware that the current approach isn't really working?
0: I would say, the, as of recently, um, anyone that had their head buried in the sand um, is, is, is now aware. Um, the conversation three years ago was, was very different, uh, even, even CISOs that we would speak to of, of large enterprises, the attitude was, well, you know what, even if we get breached, we're, we're in good company um, and you could kind of sweep it under the rug and the, the damage from those breaches wasn't really obvious, it wasn't really felt um post covid I, I don't think that's the case i think people are, are seeing that the that their ability to protect themselves despite record expenditure um you know pre- trying to trying to prevent those attacks um, hasn't kept them safe and and so i think that attitude's changing
1: so where do you think that shift sort of stemmed from so you said in the last 3 years the people who were burying their head in the sand I agree but now they've sort of changed was there anything that sort of spurred them to think differently like yes probably covid plays a part in that but you know this is even going back before covid like what was sort of the reasoning behind that from your perspective
0: um there's probably a few kind of key shifts in the sand um, you look at the introduction of the GDPR in Europe, that put a cost attached to to privacy or breaching privacy. That there was a we, we spoke at South by Southwest in 2019, and there was a measurable difference in the attitude from anyone um, from Europe versus those in the states. Since then, you've had the California Privacy Act um, appear, and then a whole host of other states following suit. So even just the you know the the notion of Privacy is dead. Uh, introduced by by Facebook, um, that 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 attitude's changing, and we've seen, uh, you know, in the case of Facebook, we've seen a, a data breach uh, result in election tampering in in you know the big, one of the biggest nations in the world. So people are seeing the impact of uh, of breaches uh, and seeing the impact of, I guess, trusting. Or trusting a, a, a technology, or trusting a company that that sells technology, and um, and that's that's changed the attitude. Um, and I'd say that that pre COVID is was probably the the precursor to this kind of shift in attitude.
1: Mm. Now that's an interesting word that you use there, trust. So that's probably the main thing that I'd like to speak to you about today, because. It's so interesting like when we were talking, like people talk about trust and I mean I remember working in the bank and the size was like we've got to engender trust, we've got to do this but then like what does that actually mean? So we talk about trust but I'm keen to hear your thoughts specifically on your definition of what this means to you.
0: Yeah I think trust means a, a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, for me trust is a is a based instinct that you know, starts with a mother and a baby, um, but it's also you know interpersonal trust is is a foundation of a prosperous society. It's uh, it's tried and tested. The the accountability between trust or a breach of trust between people is something that's been evolved over thousands of years. I think the the challenge and the problem is applying that same principle or those same principles to a dry technology that has no accountability or even a company selling that technology where the the motivations are different the accountability is is different and yet we seem to apply the the same principles.
1: And so I know you can't really speak on behalf of everyone else but I'm keen to just get a bit of a, a read on like what do you think trust means to other people like do you believe their definition aligns with yours or you did say that there are there are a myriad of different versions of what trust looks like, but I'm, I'm keen to sort of explore what, what that is.
0: Yeah, I think I think the notion of trust has definitely been tested post-COVID in particular. Um, you know, the, there there's the kind of, I guess, the not just the, the tampering of elections, but questioning over whether elections in, in, in democracies um, uh, uh, can be relied upon, can be fair, and, um, There are, you know, heaps of examples of of different countries around the world trying to manage the COVID outbreak with tracing apps. And you could see, even though some like Australia's one, for example, probably the most least invasive uh, app on my phone, um, but they couldn't get critical mass of, of a population adopting it and using it because people don't trust the government with tracking them or with their data um, and then you've seen, you know, some of the most damaging breaches in history where you as a, as a consumer shared your information with, a, let's say, a health provider and then you became the victim of identity theft and had money stolen from your account um, and, and these kind of uh, follow-on effects happening that um, I think previously weren't, weren't felt and I think the, the attacks are getting more sophisticated, more brazen, and um, and so I think the attitude towards trust, towards trusting even a technology, if you look at instances like, for example, um, Solar Winds, where you've got a, a technology that was probably one of the most trusted pieces of software in an organisation, and that 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 trust being the very vulnerability that was exploited um, to, to kind of and caught, caught everyone with their pants down.
1: So, would you say what I'm hearing and from what you're saying is? is trust just an illusion because everyone talks about just trust me. And when people say that, or I I trust this product or this person. And I think that there's always that underlying like feeling that you, you shouldn't trust that when someone says, just trust me. So I'm keen to understand that are people just saying it, but then there's no sort of genuineness there. There's no level of integrity there anymore. Are we all sort of just being, you know, blind leading the blind here i I don't know
0: well i think for for me it comes back to that that notion of applying the same principles of trust between people where let's say there is a breach of trust there's a fairly well established uh, accountability or punishment and a a person can't really change themselves they're still the same person um, that has breached someone else's trust so it becomes very much more difficult for them to do that again whereas a technology has no feelings a company selling technology is motivated to maximize profits to um, cut corners to bring an MVP to market and 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 they're answerable to shareholders but but even the company itself you know the people working in the company will turn over the shareholders of the company will turn over so you know you can close down a company open up another one even with the same technology and so the accountability is quite different um, But we seem to apply the the same principles of trust there, which I think is, is, is problematic.
1: Would you say people's view of trust has changed significantly? And what I mean by that is back in the day, you had your four major banks in Australia, for example, people were trusting one of them. Now that's changed. we have got digital banks and, and people aren't trusting large banks anymore because of the Royal Commissioner and, and just how they've operated in the past or there's been uh, a lot of like money laundering that's happened, I think, recently that was in the news about people going to the ATMs and doing all this stuff. So do you think now people are sort of really on the back foot about it and therefore this is what's really starting to ignite this conversation that we're having in the, in the space?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think on a kind of macro level, we've seen a few big, big events like um, GFC, like back in 2008, I think it was where a lot of you know, established foundational organizations, which we kind of blindly relied upon, um, let us down and people started to ask questions and it saw the introduction of technologies like uh, blockchain to To counteract that, um, and and so I think that the trust that there was placed in in some of that those kind of base institutions that that were you know relied upon as foundations has has changed.
1: And would you say because of the GFC, for example, that's been the start or the catalyst to start eroding that trust for people to ask more questions than perhaps they did before? They probably just didn't really think twice about it, right? But now people are questioning that because of what's happening in the in the media and because of what they've seen and because companies have let them down.
0: And and I think also, you know, with technology as an enabler, um it gives more power to to communities um that previously had had you know real no no real way to represent themselves in in a meaningful way, but with, you know, I mean, social media and, and decentralized technologies have given a, um, uh, I guess, the, the potential to, to kind of j- change the, the balance of power in, in, in a conversation like whether it's, you know, finances or, or how, how someone's uh, sensitive data is handled.
1: Mm. So when we did speak, you mentioned that people have to trust something. And sort of what you meant by that is people have to trust someone, something, some company, just something. So, so talk to me a little bit about this because it's something that, yes, you 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 do think you've got to trust someone or something, but then it's like, well, hang on, it starts to open up a bit of a can of worms around the questioning then that goes into trusting these people, these organizations.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if you look at cybersecurity uh, as an industry. Everyone more or less has the same promise, the same value proposition on the box. Um, you know, we'll keep you secure. We're the most secure. Trust us. Um, but it does usually mean that you have to put blind faith in in that company, in that technology, in that in that software, which you don't have visibility to. So even if, let's say, you're encrypting your sensitive information, the question then becomes: Okay, well, this information is inaccessible to someone who who might get their hands on it, but where does the key to decrypt the data sit? Does that sit inside your application? Does that sit with your IT manager? Does that sit with a third party that manages those keys for you because you're not capable of doing it yourself? Wherever that key sits is where your trust is placed and and that becomes a a, a point of vulnerability for you as an organization. Um, And depending on, where that sits um you're open to i guess a different risk whether it's a, a human risk or, or technology risk
1: so do you think people are actually asking that question though like did it, do you think they're even thinking like that or it's like okay you've proven enough company x that you, you're trustworthy that that's it that's enough no questions asked
0: i think um supply chain attacks have have really changed that that attitude um you know microsoft uh SolarWinds, winds say like a lot of these brands were the most trusted in the industry, and um, they were the they were the the software that kept your organization safe. So when they became the source of your vulnerability, um, it, it it became pretty clear that um, you know you have to start asking those questions, and and even um, a lot of the. Systems integrators that that have you know cybersecurity managed services that that we deal with, they recognise the fact that offering these services means that um, they are the, the the central point of vulnerability, they're the central point of failure, and so they're looking at ways to to make sure that they remove themselves as a risk in in the way that they offer that service, which is uh, very encouraging.
1: So I guess to just sort of press on that point a little bit more that. As we're talking about, like, yes, you you have to trust something or someone, but there, there's still that room for vulnerabilities, as, as you just spoke about. And, and I think the, the thing is, is that people have flaws. They make mistakes and people don't always act with integrity. It's been out in the media recently. There was a, I'm obviously not going to say the name, but there was a company that people did trust, but obviously the CFO did not act with integrity. Uh, and so, therefore, that is a, a byproduct of the vulnerability that's still left there, right? And then products and system have defects as well. So what do you think about this?
0: I think that um, historically, when we're talking about cybersecurity solutions, um, they, the security comes from obscurity. So uh, there's, there's a promise from a, a brand you know, ideally, you're, you're kind of you know, a well-established brand that's ha- that has a history of, um, of developing products that have been out in the market and tried and tested. Um, and you're trusting the brand more, more than the technology because generally, you either don't have the expertise or you don't have the visibility. It's proprietary technology. You don't see the source code. You don't see how it works. There's no third party that's, um, that's necessarily validated that, that um, is, is reliable. But but there's a trend that's um, now offering much more visibility into how a solution works, so that the security comes from transparency or verifiable mathematics um, or scrutiny um, from a, from a much from a, almost like a crowdsourced audience that can verify the the integrity of, of the of the security
1: and so how does that work
0: um, well, if you look at uh, look at Bitcoin as an example, um, there's a there's a technology where anyone can plug into this network and get the identical result, um, regardless of whether you you know what, what what side of the earth you're 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 on. Um, you know exactly how the system works, and it's the the sanctity of the security comes from. Verifiable mathematics that everyone can look at, everyone can review, everyone can test, and and so as a as a technology, it's proven to be um, pretty 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 stable. And you don't need to trust anyone else in the network to trust that the store of value that your key accesses, for example, um, is is sacrosanct.
1: And there's transparency there, right? Like people can see what's happening. Um... And that's up to their discretion. If they want to go into the details, they can, but they don't have to, of course. Uh, and so, would you say that this is going to potentially stir up a lot of vendors out there? Because I mean, you know, that's like people's crown jewels, right? They don't want to just offer that up, or how they do things, or it could be as well, like trying to sweep things under the rug, so to speak.
0: I think you know, temporarily, you might see a bit of that, but but I think. Again, having having seen some, you know, security companies themselves be breached, and that being, you know, really a catastrophic event for a, for a company like that, um, the the desire or the ability now to remove yourself as a as a central point of vulnerability is is going to be, um, I think, more attractive than than trying to protect IP um, that that gave you a, a temporary competitive edge in the market. But, but moving forward, um, you're going to need to adapt.
1: Would you say that people are starting to to look at this moving forward or do you still think people are stuck in their old ways of how they think, how they operate, what what's happening today, the way I've always done it?
0: I think it depends on the, the, the size of an organisation. I think small businesses really... Would, would struggle regardless of, of their attitude regardless of how well they, they train their staff they they're reliant on on third parties and they don't have the means to, to kind of really validate the technology so they're really relying on the market to, to do that for them or, or you know third-party experts um, and as as these the technologies and the solutions become more transparent um, and 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 accountable um, and verifiable then Anyone using that technology, whether it's a small business without capabilities or resources, um, will, will benefit from it. So I think a lot of people, you know, even with a desire, don't have a chance. Um, but there are a lot more solutions being uh, introduced to the market. A lot of new approaches that uh, introduce this kind of openness and the, the verifiability, which is which is the the, the key. Um, and then then the challenge becomes introducing something that is secure, but also usable, doesn't introduce user friction. Um, And so the the better solutions have kind of cracked that nut.
1: The other thing that I think about, and I think I was speaking to someone the other week, uh, Dustin Brewer, uh, it was around the ISACA Emerging Technologies report that we went through. And I sort of asked him about when COVID came out, everyone went on the Zoom trend, but no one sort of really did any, uh, vendor analysis or any due diligence and there were of course issues which they remediated for whatever reason because they're obviously getting people backlash in the market which I can understand but then it sort of my mind went to well did people just go to zoom for example or any other technology vendor out there because everyone else did it do you think that then the the industry is in relying trust then on what other people do like okay well 70% of people went with this vendor I'm just going to do it Two, uh, do you think there's not enough independent thinking about, well, is this right for me and my organisation or am I just going to follow what everyone else does uh, because most people have adopted this technology, for example?
0: Yeah, I think, well, definitely a factor. And I think what kind of exacerbated that as a as a potential issue is the the, the speed with which, um, you know, uh, organisations needed to adapt to, to stay alive um, when when everything, when, when economies were shut down, when people had to work from home, the only solution for them was to take the path of least resistance to, to survive. And, and so, you know, due diligence went out the window and, you know, following the crowd, mm-hmm. it seemed like the, the safe thing to do. So would you
1: say that that was just an anomaly in that particular instance because people's backs are against the wall? Like, we're not going to sit there and do due diligence. Like, you know, at this point, people didn't even know what was going to happen.
0: Yeah, I think I think people had very limited options, um, and 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 even though yeah, video conferencing technology and the likes of Zoom or even Skype, you know, it's been around for years. Um, mm. It all of a sudden became a, the only way to do business, and so mm. you yeah, there was no time to no time to think.
1: But here's the thing that gets me still: is speaking to a lot of people in the space that I do, a lot of them from, from what I, the conversations that I have is they will just follow who, what other people are doing. I mean, I've seen this when I worked in the bank, if we bought a technology, the other three banks would follow. And so do you think there still needs to be that learning around while we can't just trust what the other guys do, we've got to sort of do DD for ourselves, And we've got to understand if this works for us. I still feel like there's that that herd mentality, because everyone's doing it, therefore it's okay. Because I trust what the others are doing.
0: Yeah, I, there's, a, I guess, the the old notion of nobody got fired for using IBM Global Services or some, something along those lines. I forget the the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that that that's certainly certainly the case. But but if you think about um, how and why that that is a is a necessity for someone, it's because. How else, you, how else do you judge the, the quality of a product or a service when you, you, when it's a black box and you can't see inside it or no one can see inside it whether even if you don't have the expertise, you don't see you know you can't, you can't see that there's been enough scrutiny from um, ex- experts with a range of different um, motivations, not just ones that might support a particular vendor or, or organization.
1: Mm, so I guess it comes into probably like the line of questioning or like when they're doing a demo or POC, like really getting into the specifics. So maybe they're just not going deep enough into it because they can't, because they are restricted at the end of the day. Would you say that that's the case?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, particularly if, if you put yourself in the, in the shoes of a small business, you, you don't have that capability. Your, your, you, your expertise is in selling a particular service or, or widget. It's not. It's not technology. It's certainly not, you know, very niche technology that's um, where even experts are, are struggling to keep organizations safe. Um, so you really have no chance but to trust. Um, but does that trust have to come from what someone's telling you, or does that, can that trust come from come from the market where there's been, you know, plenty of external validation and, and eyeballs on on something? To, to, to test that it works.
1: I guess you, they, these guys don't know what they don't know, right? So that's like me going and, I don't know, asking about something I have no idea on. You don't even know where to start. You don't know what is good or not good. Uh, so I guess that'll probably be a, a bit more of a strain for those guys. But then, like you said, putting trust into what other people say. So then the other thing I want to sort of speak to you about is all of this trust conversation do you believe we're just putting too much trust in others or other companies, and does that concern you?
0: Um, yeah, I think uh, I think the the risk for any organisation in, in often trusting themselves uh, when when it comes to the human factor is is, is problematic. Um, trusting third party vendors or suppliers where. They they are a central point of failure for for your entire business, um, or or a central point of vulnerability if 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 you're attacked, is massively problematic. And we're and again we're seeing more and more examples of, of those kind of attacks. Um, so having to rely on a, a single single vendor that that is susceptible to to a singular attack is 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 problematic and. Is a risk to any any organization
1: what if we could remove trust and this is where the conversation really gets interesting because we've just spoken most of today's interview about trust trusting someone etc so what do you mean by this and then how does that work
0: it comes comes back to you know trusting what's what's on the box rather than what's in the box um Transparency um, through, let's say, open source code and having complete scrutiny of of a solution um, introduces a a new level of of accountability um, or even verifiability of a solution. So there are, for example, you you plug a node into a decentralized network and you or, or someone can mathematically verify that you're getting the same output the same result as anyone else in the network. So it becomes a solution that is verifiable. And I think that's that's the key is when when you can have verifiability in the of the integrity of a, of a solution at any point in that solution, whether you're a consumer who's about to log into a, you know, to Internet banking, is there a way for you to verify that I am actually logging into my bank? Um, you can have an SSL certificate but even that SSL certificate is trusting some kind of a, an authority that you don't have any visibility to. So introducing ways to, to be able to verify as, either as a consumer using, using a service or as the organization, making sure that your security is a is, is sacrosanct.
1: So just say, for example, someone's like, cool, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to verify this but then it doesn't do what they thought it was going to do. How does that conversation go?
0: Well, let's say as a consumer about to log into internet banking and there's a way for me to verify even at a glance or at a click of a button, hey, am I truly about to log into my bank? And if the answer is no, something doesn't smell right, then I can change the way that I I then interface with the bank Um, or I can not log into the bank using that, that machine. So it, it just gives you an option that you didn't have before because it's verifiable. But, but more than that, not expecting you know a, a typical consumer to have necessarily that capability or that um, wherewithal, um, the ability of you know maybe more savvy users to to identify that there's an issue and for that to be kind of shared, um, so that uh, a vulnerability because of the verifiability a vulnerability can be identified and. The damage can be mitigated because it's been picked up and and shared. So, would
1: you say this is definitely going to put more pressure back on vendors, uh, suppliers, for example? I mean, it's not a bad thing, right? Like, we want people to be accountable. Um, how do you think that's going to go? Uh,
0: I think it's an opportunity. Um, if if you can, as a vendor, um, show that your product. Is verifiable, show that your you yourself are not a supply chain risk, then that's just a massive competitive advantage and, and, and those that do that um, I think will, will ultimately win in, in the current environment.
1: So on a very small sort of consumer sale, uh, uh, scale, the way I'm looking at it in my head, and correct me if I'm wrong, is there a certain platforms and it's like verified buyer and they've got like five stars and they've got all these reviews. You're more inclined to go with that supplier than someone who doesn't have that. Is that sort of the same mindset mentality that people are going to have?
0: Um, yeah, I, I would say beyond that because even I think people have, have come to struggle with trusting the, the guys that do those professional reviews. Like the, the research yeah, companies that because you can you can buy a review effectively to and, and any cybersecurity company that's looking to scale has one on their website, um, so it has to be. I would call, open to more more community scrutiny if if, if you can call it that. Um, sure. And and I think that's where the 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 real um, transparency and accountability can can go to strengthening um, security.
1: So there are organisations out there, Mike, that are sort of doing this uh, in terms of endorsing or not endorsing a product. What do you think about those guys? Uh, would you say that people still trust what they have to say or would you say that's sort of dissipating now?
0: I would say, you know, to, to a degree. And it's maybe to date been the, the least worst option available. Um, so, you know, accreditation, is is one way to to build trust when you can't prove it um but it uh, you know as we're seeing in kind of this the, the breach pandemic that we're living through at the moment um it 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 doesn't necessarily keep you safe
1: yeah i i agree with you and i guess because there's not not really being sort of an alternative solution uh, as you alluded to before, around the community or that crowdsourced sort of response to a product, for example. So would you say the more and more that comes into effect, the other the other companies out there or these non-verified um, reviews become sort of a bit of a distant memory, would you say? or
0: I can kind of see them evolving and taking on a slightly slightly different role in maybe in that community setting. Um, but, um, yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to rely on, on on the five stars from a from a process that again you've got no no visibility to. Um, but but there'll be opportunities for for those services. I think in in a more transparent and accountable world, I think it'll just create um, a bigger a bigger industry for that.
1: So would you say that trust will sort of become redundant in the future? And what I mean by that is because we've got ways to validate, verify, therefore we don't need that doesn't even need to have a conversation. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to close my eyes and jump out the window and hope that I live. Like there's a little bit more sort of infrastructure, there's a little bit more process around to actually validate products and services for example.
0: Yeah, I don't think yeah, I think I think what we replacing the need for blind faith. Um, with with verifiability introduces a, a new level of trust if you could trust that sharing your information with you know your digital health record um, and you, you know you've seen multiple attempts from the australian government to create a digital health record which makes a lot of sense in terms of you know um, offering affordable health care for the nation and having your all of your health data in one place so they can be shared with specialists and you know you can improve your your own health care and that of your family but today you've got no visibility um, certainly no reassurance when you're seeing um, multiple government services caught up in you know in the next breach that your information is safe or that you you know what's being done with that information if you could Replace the need to tr- have blind faith in in that solution with with that verifiability. Then you, the focus is now on the 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 value add of, of the service itself, not whether your information is secure or whether you can trust um, the 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 security of the of the system. So you can then the you know the the health platforms then really just focus on delivering that value of, of a health product rather than a security product.
1: So two questions, Australia as a whole, including like general public, what percentage, I mean, this is a very abstract out there question. I'm just keen to hear like how you interpret this. What percentage would you say that I just have that blind faith in terms of everyone in Australia that, that are trusting like my health um, record and, and all of these things, would you, would you say, like as a guess?
0: Um, I'd say the, the very <laughs> low. <laughs> Um, I, I, because of the, I guess, the research that I do, um, I get retargeted um, a lot by the uh, the health department and and those responsible for kind of creating uh, creating those services. And if you just look at the comments from from people on social media to the ads um, that are telling you how safe and in control you are of your information, I think that's that's some kind of a measure. Um, but again, if you go back to Australia's attempt for a, a COVID tracing app, which had the potential to you know keep us out of lockdown and, and keep the economy open there's a massive benefit to you know to citizens of the country if if there was participation but after spending a fortune developing a solution there was a you know a, an even bigger fortune spent trying to market it uh, without without the ability to get critical mass so um i'd say the trust levels are pretty low and i think even when, when it comes to the digital health record Unlike the requirement for a business to have people opt in, um, you were automatically opt in and people had to go to the effort of opting out. And, uh, and I think that happened in droves. So there's a, there is definitely a real challenge there uh, for, um, and that trust problem is, uh, is, is being felt now in the market.
1: So would you say less than 30%, 20, 10, 5?
0: Not sure if I could put a, put a number on it, but uh, I'd certainly uh, say it's low
1: yeah what about in the industry though do you think that people still have this blind faith if we sort of zoom into the security or even the tech industry do you think there's still a lot of that that happens
0: yeah i would say that um people are certainly more aware of of the challenges with trusting traditional vendors that to date you know were the the most solid names in the industry um and they were the ones that you couldn't get fired for uh for for engaging with um but it's it's more a matter of what what are my other options and and kind of hanging on for dear life in in the face of uh, you know cyber attacks from nation states that have near unlimited resources to to attack you. So it's, it's it's quite a challenge.
1: So just on that note, would you say that there's a bit of an opportunity now for startups because people aren't trusting the big players as much as they historically they did, for example. Uh, because people are looking at alternative solutions that may be better, that may be a tenth of the price, for example, and they're not sort of so headstrong on, I need to have this vendor, so to speak. Do you think that's an opportunity? And then also at a very high level, what do you think the criteria is for people in trusting a company at the moment?
0: Um, I, yeah, I think... This kind of post-COVID world has really created uh, a lot of, you know, seismic shifts that 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 are basically opportunities for new players to challenge the incumbents, um, both in cybersecurity and, and really everywhere. Um, and startups, uh, you know, can can definitely capitalize on that. Um, and I think the in terms of criteria for for trust. It becomes a matter of uh, transparency and accountability, and and then you know things beyond that, like for example, how does a company behave when their customer um, or the the interest of their customer is at odds with profitability? How do they behave in those in those scenarios? Are they um, exploitative? Do they take advantage of that situation, or are they benevolent? Um, and I think that's that's another way to kind of Measure, measure trust beyond beyond the, the technological sense.
1: Now, ultimately, vendors are relying on customers to, to trust them and they need that for repeat business or to continue working with them as a, as a service or project or whatever it may be. What do you think the landscape of this is going to look like? Is it going to become harder? Because, I mean, I know I've worked in large corporations before. Vendor rolls up. Cool. I mean, this has gone back, I don't know, eight, ten years ago when – you'd have a large vendor and they know that they're going to get another three-year contract, but there was no real sort of uh, any scrutiny or criti- criticism towards them as like, yep, I know exactly I'm going to get this signed off and I'm safe for three years. Do you think this is really going to change the game now? Is it not going to be as easy as that? Um, people really have to prove themselves now. It's going to be a harder slog, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I'd say even the way that that business is done on the, on the big end of town when when you're uh, confined to working from home, there's no whining and dining. Um, so so what then does a, um, a, a an organization have to for for its own people to to choose a vendor? Um, so it changes it definitely changes the uh, the nature of the game and and I think people will look for other things to um, to to assess whether someone someone's right for them. I think it it creates, as I said, like lots of of opportunities for, for the challenger brands.
1: Absolutely, it's always about finding that opportunity. I think now's the time. So Mike, I really, really, really appreciate your time today. This has been such an interesting topic because people often do speak about it, but I was just like, well, what does that actually mean? So I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your knowledge today. If people perhaps have a question for you that I didn't ask you today, how can they go about getting in contact with you?
0: um yeah sure you can uh, hit me up michael at tide t-i-d-e dot org and uh yeah happy to answer any questions and yeah appreciate you having me on
1: awesome okay well absolutely and i can't wait to get you back
0: thanks a lot chrisa
1: thanks for tuning in we hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital.
0: This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.